Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a, a local congregation. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. That's just off Dumbarton Road. Go up to the police station, and opposite the police station, you will go up a hill, and first of all, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and we are next door at the crossroads, and we do extend a, a warm welcome to you to come along any Lord's Day, that's any Sunday, and our first service is at 11 o'clock, and we have a other service at 6 p.m., and we extend a warm welcome to you to come along where you might hear something more of Christianity, of the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30, and also we would extend a, a warm welcome to you to come along there where you might hear something more concerning the Christian gospel. And we tend to come out on a Friday afternoon to do some open-air work, and we're very glad that you can join us as we live stream from Partick Station in the west end of Glasgow. And we're glad that you're able to hear and listen, and there are others here who are handing out gospel tracts, and we ask that you might take one from them. You may not be able to read it at the moment, but please take it home and read it at your leisure. You'll find all our contact details there. And we stress these things because we want you to know that we are a, a local congregation, we're local people, and we're not in any sense charlatans. We're not fly-by-night characters. We're here. We're here for the long term. And it's a privilege and a pleasure to be able to come out this afternoon and to introduce to you the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to read uh, one or two verses from God's Word. Therefore, let us hear the Word of God. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his, his disciples met with him, and much people. Now when he had come nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city were with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying, That a great prophet is risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. There we have a, a wonderful incident in the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was engaged in his public ministry. 
And on one occasion he went to the city, a city called Nain. And as he approached the city with his disciples and many followers, he encountered another procession. This was a funeral procession. A young man had died that day, and they were about to bury him. And the Lord Jesus Christ met the procession. And at the head of the procession was the dead boy's mother, and she was a, a widow. And first of all, we would notice there that there were two processions. There was this funeral procession, and there was the procession headed by the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. And we might say, in one sense, as we look at these two prophet, processions, we might notice that they represent what we see in life today. The procession that was following the widow and the dead man is a procession of death. But the procession that was headed by the Lord Jesus Christ was a procession of life. And we have to understand that, in one sense, we're in one of these processions. We are either walking with Christ, or we are walking with this world, which will ultimately end in death. So what procession are you on? Here Jesus encountered the procession of death, and He is representing the procession of life. And when we notice these two pro processions, we notice two sorrowful individuals. We notice the widow and how sorrowful she must have been. There she lost her only son, and she herself was a widow. Life was extremely difficult and hard for her now that her son was taken from her. But there was another sorrowful person there. It was the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, because the Bible tells us that He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We also notice there that there was, in that processions, there was two only sons. Two only sons. There was a son of God who was alive, but who was destined to die. There was a son of the widow who was dead, but was destined to come alive again by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there at, the, at these two processions, we notice two enemies. One is death itself, and the other is the Lord Jesus Christ, who will overcome death. Indeed, as the gospel tells us, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And this scene, this 
funeral procession scene is an extremely sad occasion. And how has all this been brought about, we might say? Well, we need to realize that death has been brought about by sin. Here was a young man who got up in the morning and no doubt he had many things that he wished to do. But suddenly he was brought into eternity. He was taken into eternity. He got up in the morning and he had his breakfast. But the time came when he passed into eternity. And we would notice that this scene is an extremely sad situation. And it's all been brought about because of mankind's sin. Because there would be no death and there would be no suffering. There would be no tears if it were not for the fact that mankind has sinned. And therefore this pitiful situation that we notice ultimately stems from the fact that mankind has sinned. Way back in the very beginning when God created Adam, He created him perfectly. He was without sin. And then He created Eve to be a, a suitable companion for Adam. But as you know, they rebelled against the living God. They disobeyed a very clear commandment that God had given to them. And as a result of that breach of God's law, sin entered into mankind's experience. And sin has brought devastation to our world. It has affected every single one of us. How can we say this? Well, we can say this because we've all come from Adam and Eve. They are our first parents. And when they sinned, we sinned. And that's why every one of us, we are conceived in sin. And as a result of this, when we are born, that sinful nature will reveal itself in sinful actions. And I put it to you for your observation. Those of you who are parents, you will look at your children and you will notice they come into this world and you were delighted with them. You loved your children and you cared for them and you provided for them. But what happened? It's not long before you realize that the sinful nature that they have inherited from yourself manifests itself in sinful behavior. Why do they fight? Why do they lie? Why do they cheat? Why do they misbehave? It is because they have a sinful nature. And therefore, this is something that has affected the whole of mankind. There are no exceptions. That's why the Bible says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And therefore, this funeral scene that we've noticed that the Lord Jesus Christ encountered reveals to us what sin has done to ourselves, to our families, to our communities, to our nations, to this world. 
and therefore sin is a great problem. But we come out this afternoon to tell you that there is a solution to this great problem. But this solution does not rely or rest upon ourselves. This solution rests upon what God has done for mankind in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. As someone has said, life is short, death is certain, sin is the problem, and Christ is the cure. And on this occasion that we're referring to that we find in Luke chapter 7, we find indeed that the Lord Jesus Christ did provide a cure for this localized situation. We notice that the Lord Jesus Christ noticed the widow, and he noticed how she was bereft, and how she was so sad, and how she was so brokenhearted, and how she was despairing for life itself, because this young son who had been taken from her would be her source of comfort in her old age. Now she would have to fend for herself, and now she would have to rely upon the charity of her family, of her neighbors, and of her friends. But the Lord Jesus Christ, at the head of this procession of life, went and spoke to her and said to her immediately, Weep not. Weep not, we are told. In verse 13, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. There we have a, a glorious picture, an illustration of what Jesus Christ has done for mankind. He noticed this widow, and he went to her. He was not asked. She did not approach him. Instead, he went to her, and he said, because he was full of compassion, weep not. Weep not because he knew he was going to do something about it. And that's exactly what Christ has done for mankind. We're all sinners. There are none righteous, no, not one. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, the Bible says in Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. And when I quote the Bible, friends, I would urge you to read the Bible for yourselves in order that you might see and ascertain that what I'm saying is actually found in the Bible. But what he did for the woman is an illustration of what he's done for mankind. He has acted. He has taken the, the initiative. We are dead in trespasses and sins. We are estranged from God by nature. And such is the, the depth of our plight and the depravity of our nature, we no longer want to be reconciled to God. We don't want to have a, a rightful relationship with Him by nature. We're happy to be in our sin. We're happy to be in a state of death. But God is not. And surely this is a wonderful encouragement to us. God saw our plight. 
God saw us lost and God saw us perishing. God saw us without any hope in this world. And what did he do? Well, the Bible tells us what he did. In that well-known verse in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And there, friends, in that verse, we recognize that God saw our problem. And God saw that this problem was too great for us. And God saw that we didn't want this problem addressed. But God took the initiative. And God sent forth His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's a delight to be able to come out this afternoon to tell people about this glorious good news from heaven. That the Lord Jesus Christ, in a very real sense, has had compassion upon mankind. And such is the extent of his compassion that he has done everything that was required and everything that was necessary in order to provide a salvation whereby we might be set free from the power of sin, where we might be set free from the guilt of sin, and whereby we might be reconciled to God through what Jesus Christ has done for us on Calvary's tree. As he showed compassion to this weeping widow, so he shows compassion to us this afternoon. He has come. He has left heaven. He left the glories and the wonder and the splendor of heaven. He came to this barren and this sin-cursed world. And he did this because of his great love towards sinners. But friends, this requires a response from you and I. It's all very well telling you about this glorious person. But it does require a response from you. What is that response? Well, the response of the gospel call is that you are to repent. You are to turn from your sins. You are to forsake your sins. Now, you may well ask me, because we don't hear much about these things today, but what is sin? It's a very good question. And you're entitled to ask it. And I do hope that I'll be able to answer your question. But sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. In other words, sin is breaking God's law or not fulfilling God's law. That's what sin is. And the Bible tells us that we're all sinners. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what that verse is telling us is that we have missed the mark. We have missed the mark. God has given us a law. And it is summarized in the Ten Commandments. 
He has given these commandments for us. And He expects us to live out these commandments. In other words, He expects us to obey these commandments. But because of sin, we cannot obey them. It's impossible for us. We do not have the power. We do not have the desire. We do not have the will. But nevertheless, we are still obliged to obey that law. But you know, friends, the great news of the gospel is that someone has kept that law perfectly on behalf of sinners. This is all part of the work of the Lord Jesus. This is why He came. He came in order that He might fulfill that law, that He might keep it, that He might perfectly perform it. And that's what He did. And when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, His righteousness, or to put it very simply, His law-keeping, His obedience is given to the sinner. Is this not remarkable? Yes, it is. But it is the work of God. And we tell you about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus in order that you might put your hope and your trust upon Him. It's all part of the gospel call. We read in the book of Acts when the great apostle Paul was preaching to all the the wise people of Athens of that day. He said to them, as he was concluding, as he was applying his sermon, he said to these wise people, these worldly wise people, God commands all men everywhere to repent. And that means to forsake our sins. That's what's required of us. That's what it is to deceive the Lord Jesus Christ. It is to repent and to believe the gospel. To believe the gospel record about the Lord Jesus. To believe in what He has done. To believe who He is. Who indeed is the Lord Jesus. Many people will say they believe in the Lord Jesus. But, you know, the Lord Jesus is among many things. But He is the eternally begotten Son of God. In other words, He is God in the flesh. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is the one who is the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And all this was necessary in order to save us. And when He showed compassion to that widow woman who had lost her son, her only son, and our only hope of support. He has showed compassion, mercy, love, and grace to the sinners today in the gospel. But you know, as we're looking at this lady who lost her only son in the morning and was about to bury him in the afternoon, we notice that the Lord Jesus Christ had compassion on her, as any one of us would have compassion on her. And we would have compassion upon anyone who loses a loved one. That's just natural. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ was able to do something else. Not just show compassion, but to reveal His power. Because He said to this woman, 
weep not. That's a strange thing to say to someone who's just lost their only son and their only hope in his life, not to weep. Weep would be absolutely natural and normal. But Jesus said to her, weep not. Why? Because he was going to raise, her from the de- raise him from the dead again. And that's what he did. We read it here in God's Word in Luke chapter 7. And he came and touched the bier. That's the, the place where the body was. And they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. Arise. And here was someone who was dead. And what happened? When he heard the voice of the Lord Jesus, he arose from the dead. He got up. Remarkable. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak. And no wonder all the people were amazed at this glorious miracle that had been performed by Jesus Christ. This surely tells us that this Jesus that we proclaim to you is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the Christ. He is indeed the one who has come to save the world from their sins. And there on that one occasion, He revealed and authenticated that He was the Messiah that God had promised to send. And therefore, friends, you are to put your faith and your trust in this one. Because He Himself did suffer, and then He Himself did die. And He was put into a tomb. And there he was on the Friday evening and on the Saturday, all day Saturday. But on the first day of the week, on Sunday, he arose. He came out of the grave. The grave could no longer hold him. And he was seen over a period of 40 days by his apostles and disciples on different occasions. On one occasion, he was seen by 500 individuals, or indeed more than 500 individuals saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ (coughs) on that one occasion. We are telling you about this person, and we are telling you, friends, that you must trust in this person, that you must be found in this person, that this person alone can forgive your sins, (coughs) that this person alone can reconcile you to God. This is his mission. He came on a mercy mission. And as he had compassion and mercy upon that poor widow, Today, friends, He still has compassion and mercy on those who will believe upon Him, on those who will repent and believe the gospel. You will know the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will know that blessedness of having your sins forgiven. And you will know that blessedness of having peace with God. That peace that passes all understanding. That's what we find 
when we come and when we believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to take a very short break in order to charge our batteries, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're glad to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a local congregation, and we meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace. That's just up Dumbarton Road. And when you come to the police station, opposite the police station, go up the hill and you'll come to, first of all, Thornwood Primary School. And then we're just beside them at the crossroads. And we would extend a, a warm welcome to you to come along any Lord's Day that Sunday the first day of the week, come along and we meet at 11 a.m. And we also have an evening service which begins at 6 p.m. And also we have a, a midweek meeting where we meet at 7.30. And we would extend a sincere, warm welcome to you all to come along whereby you might hear something more. All we can really do here in the open air is sow some gospel seeds. You might hear a, a line or two or a sentence or two. And we do hope that the Lord would bless His Word. But to know more about Christ and to know more about Christianity, you really need to be in a in a church where the Word of God is read and where the Gospel is proclaimed. And therefore, that's why we come out to give you this invitation. Come along. Maybe you don't go to a place of worship. And maybe then uh, the church experience would be new to you and maybe you might be somewhat apprehensive. Well, please don't be apprehensive. We would love to see you, and we can assure you, you will get a very warm welcome with no pressure, nothing whatsoever. Just sit down, listen, and let the Lord speak unto you Himself. Or maybe you've, you go somewhere else, or maybe you've stopped going, and maybe you find it difficult to come back whatever, a warm welcome to you to Two Thornwood Terrace. Now, a few minutes ago, we were looking at that lady, that widow who lost her son and how Jesus restored him to life again. Well, you know, Jesus did this on other occasions as well. We know from the Bible that Jesus raised to life at least three people. We looked at that young man from the city called Nain. But there was another occasion when he healed a young girl and she had just died. She was the daughter of a synagogue ruler called Jairus. And Jairus went to the Lord Jesus and asked him to come to his house because 
His daughter was near at the point of dying. And Jesus said he would come. But Jesus at this time was very, very popular. Very popular. And the crowds were thronging him. And when he was on his way to Jairus' house, he was delayed. A woman who had a problem encountered him. And Jesus dealt with that lady's predicament before he went to Jairus' house. And therefore, by the time he went to Jairus' house, a message came to Jairus and said to him, Don't bother bringing the Master. Don't bother bringing Jesus. Why? Because your daughter is dead. But Jesus said, Don't worry. Have faith. And Jesus went with Jairus. And there there, were, there was, there was a crowd there and they were crying. As you would, 12-year-old girl had died. And Jesus met that sorrow scene. And he put them all out, took in one or two of his disciples, took in the parents, and then raised the girl to life again. And she came to life. And she was given something to eat to demonstrate that truly she was revived and that she was brought back from the dead. And there again, we see the Lord Jesus Christ revealing His great power over the King of Terrors. What indeed is the King of Terrors? Well, the King of Terrors, friends, is death itself. Something that every one of us, unless the Lord shall return before our life ends, something that we will have to encounter something that we will have to experience. Now at the moment, many of us maybe are fit and healthy, we're young and we don't bother about these things, but as we know, young people can die. Life is short. Death is certain. Sin is a problem. And Christ is the answer. And therefore, friends, we are to put our faith, put our trust, put our hope upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to seek Him while He may be found. We are to call upon this glorious person because He is the only one who can forgive our sins. He is the only one that can prepare us for eternity. He is the only one that can take us to heaven. And if we die in our sins, if we die without our sins being forgiven, then, friends, we face a lost eternity. We face an eternity in that place that the Bible calls hell. A place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. It is not a place of mirth. It is not a place of parties. It is not a place where we will be with our friends and we will be enjoying life. It is none of these things. It is a terrible place of torment. And if we will die without having Christ as our Lord and Savior, that is the eternity that faces us. 
And therefore, friends, it makes abundant sense that while the gospel has been proclaimed to you today, and this is the day of grace, that you might be found in Christ, that you would embrace him as he is freely offered to you in the gospel this afternoon. You see, whether we like it or not, we all need a Savior. Why do we need the Savior? We need the Savior because we're sinners. The Bible says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And what that verse is telling us simply is, we all have missed the mark. God demands absolute perfection from us. He has given us a perfect law. And that law reflects His own character and personality. When you look at the Ten Commandments, you see something of God. It reveals His characteristics, His standards. And He demands that we keep that law absolutely, perfectly, perpetually. But the reality is that we cannot do this. We are required to do it, but we cannot do it. Why can we not do it? We cannot do it because of sin. Because we have a sinful nature. And sin is natural to us. (coughs) But the good news of the Christian gospel is that someone else has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And what's more, this person has also paid its penalty on our behalf. This is what Jesus Christ has done. He came into this world not by ordinary generation. Now, I'm not going to give anyone a biological lesson today, but he was not conceived in the normal manner. Every one of us here has been conceived in the normal manner. But Christ is the only exception to this. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by an extraordinary act of God the Holy Spirit. And this was in order that he might be without sin. You see, sin passes on from parent to child. I have my sinful nature from my parents, and my parents received it from their parents, and so on. But the Lord Jesus Christ was not conceived by ordinary generation. He was conceived miraculously. And that is why, when he was born in the normal manner, he was born without sin and he was able to live a perfect life. He never sinned in thought. He never sinned in word. He never had to retrace his words. He never had to apologize for anything that he said. He didn't need to correct himself. His actions were absolutely perfect and sinless. 
And this is important because he's the only person that ever did it. And this was the perfect person then who was able to offer up that perfect sacrifice. That sacrifice that satisfied the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. Some people think that God has gone soft. That's what they might think, but that's not true, friends. God requires that we keep the law of God. But God has also provided a way whereby He will accept if someone else has kept that law and paid that price on our behalf. And that's what Jesus Christ has done. And that's why we will come out this afternoon to tell you that you cannot trust upon yourself, you cannot trust upon your religion, you cannot trust upon your good works, you cannot trust upon yourself in order to get to heaven. You must trust in another one. And that other one is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And therefore, this demands a response from you. It is great to be able to tell you about this person and to hold him up to you. But friends, we want to tell you that you must receive him. You must be found in him. Oh, now, that's a very bold statement from someone. Because when, when, some, when someone says there's no God, he is actually saying that he knows everything. That's what he's saying. When he says there's no God, he is telling us that he knows everything. And that's impossible. Because people have met God. Many people have met God. And therefore to say there is no God is absolutely utterly ridiculous. There's not a scrap of evidence to support that statement at all. Creation all around us here tells us there's a God. The heavens and the earth tell us there's a Creator. Your conscience tells you there's a Creator. How does your conscience tell you there's a Creator? Well, when you do something wrong, your conscience tells you. It gives you a, like a warning light. It tells you you've done wrong. Where did this conscience come from? The evolutionist has no answer to this. But the conscience has been put into us by our Creator. He has given us a sense of right and wrong. This is God's stamp within us. And God, therefore, has revealed Himself in creation all around us. The very fact that there is a creation, that you and I are in it, we stand upon it, tells us that someone has created this creation. And that cre Creator is none other than God. And that, if you like, is your external witness. Externally, this is telling you, God is. Every moment that you get up, every time you open your curtains and you see creation, God is speaking to you 
in creation. But he also speaks internally. He speaks in your conscience. And I put it to you this afternoon, even for this few minutes that you're passing by here, when you're hearing this poor preacher trying to tell you something about the gospel, your conscience is coming alive. Your conscience is beginning to speak to you. And your conscience is telling you that this poor man is telling you the truth. That's what your conscience is telling you. But the atheist doesn't like to hear this. That's why he goes off and he raises his voice and he's angry. He's angry because he tries to suppress this truth that his conscience is telling him. And he doesn't like it when his conscience is troubled. But friends, be assured, God has a witness. He's given us an external witness, and He's given us an internal witness, so that the Bible tells us we are without excuse. You don't need someone to tell you about the reality of God. You know it. You know it. And the Bible says you are without excuse excuse. But we want to tell you about what God has done for mankind in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we've come out this afternoon, because we're all sinners, we've all got a great problem, we cannot deal with it, and those whom we might trust in this world, they can't deal with it either. The politicians cannot deal with it, And the more that we look at our politicians today, when they cannot tell the difference between a man and a woman, we have to realize that our politicians, by and large, are not fit for purpose, and therefore we cannot put any hope in them. We must look to another source, and we cannot trust those in our colleges or our universities or our schools We cannot trust our governments. We cannot trust anything other than the living God. He's the one who has dealt with our greatest problem. What is our problem? Our problem is our own personal sin. But the great thing about the gospel is that God has dealt with our sin in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who has fulfilled the law of God. And he's the one who has paid the price for mankind breaking that law. And here is the gospel to you this afternoon. If you will but believe upon the Lord Jesus, if you will receive him as your Lord and as your Savior, you will find that your sins will be forgiven. Yes, all your sins shall be forgiven. No other person can forgive your sins. Only Jesus, only Jesus can forgive your sins. And He will reconcile you to God. And He will prepare you for glory. And He will take you to heaven. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. No one will go to heaven. No one will be in glory. 
unless they have a Savior. And that Savior is Christ, Christ the Lord. He's the only one who has come from heaven. No other person has ever come down from heaven. No one else. And he's the one who has gone back to heaven. And he's the one who will take his people to heaven. Now how can you get to heaven? How can you get to heaven from Partick? How can you get to heaven from Glasgow? How can you get to heaven from Scotland? The only way, friends, that you can get to heaven is by having Christ take you as Lord and Savior. And that's why we would come out this afternoon. We would seek to introduce to you the person and the work of the Lord Jesus that you might receive him. How can you possibly receive him? What must you do? You must go to him. You must cry out to him. We're talking about prayer. Maybe you've never prayed in your life. Well, friends, when you realize you're a sinner, when you realize you're lost, when you realize you're perishing, when you realize that you're heading towards a lost eternity, when you realize that when you die, you will not be in heaven, then you will begin to pray. Then you will call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then his name shall be precious unto you. And that's why we would come out that you might be introduced to this person because you have to put your faith and trust in him and in him alone. And how can you possibly trust upon someone if you don't know him? How can you trust upon someone if you've never heard about him? And how can you possibly want to trust upon someone if you don't know why you should trust him? And this is why we have to deal and dwell upon this this serious matter of sin first. We have to make it very clear to all of us, regardless of our upbringing, regardless of our education or lack of it, regardless of our financial clout, regardless of our background, what does the Bible say about us? It tells us that we're sinners. There is none righteous. No, not one. Whether we be male or female, whether we be young or old, whether we be from this country or from another country, it matters not. We're all sinners. We've all come from Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, we sinned. And we're all part of the fallen human race. And our only hope is what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's tree. And this is a universal message. It's for every one of us. It doesn't matter about our circumstances. We must be saved. And the only way to be saved is to have Christ as Lord and Savior. How then can you have Him? You must call out. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And when it says the name of the Lord, it means to trust in Him 
and all that He has done. That's what it means. The name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who has suffered and died on Calvary's tree. That's the one you are to trust upon this afternoon. We're very happy to tell you where we're from and what congregation we belong to. And we want to tell you about the times of our services. But friends, we're not urging you to to come to us or to trust upon us or to trust upon the minister. No, you must trust in Jesus Christ alone. He is the only Savior. And that's why we would come out that we might introduce this person to you this afternoon. We're going to take a short break, but may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We are happy to be out at Partick Station on the west end of Glasgow. We're grateful to the Lord for the weather thus far. It's a bit damp, but at least it's not raining. So, very pleased to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. And we meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace up Dumbarton Road, opposite the police station. And as you go up the hill there, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School and then you will meet our building on the crossroads beside them. We extend a warm welcome to come along any Lord's Day, any Sunday at 11 a.m. or again at the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also have a a midweek meeting Wednesday at 7.30. Please come along. You'll be made most welcome. No pressure, none whatsoever. Come along just as you are. We will make you most welcome. It's good to be here to preach the gospel, to tell you something about the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ indeed is the very sum and the substance of Christianity. And this is what Christianity is all about. It's about what God has done in Christ. And if you go to a congregation or if you go to a place of worship and they don't speak about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you must run away from it as soon as possible and get yourself to somewhere where they will speak to you about Jesus Christ the Lord because He is the God-appointed Savior. He is the only one who has come down from heaven in order to take a people back to heaven with Him. And that's what Jesus is actually doing. Even today, He is calling people out of this world, and one day He will make a new heaven and a new earth wherein will dwell all his people. And at this time, the Lord Jesus, by the gospel, is calling people to follow him and to be part of that new humanity. 
and we go out with the gospel and we preach it wherever we will get an audience and we preach it indiscriminately and we tell all our hearers doesn't matter how old they might be doesn't matter about their sex doesn't matter about their education doesn't matter about their social standing and it certainly doesn't matter about the color of their skin we will tell them all in the name of God that they are to repent and that they are to believe the gospel and to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. We have been speaking earlier, and we spoke about how the Lord Jesus Christ raised a man to life who was about to be buried. And then he raised a young girl who was 12 years old, and she had just died, and he raised her to life also. Well, the Bible tells another incident where someone had been in the grave and that Jesus called him out of the grave. We're talking about Lazarus. Lazarus was a a disciple. He was a brother of Martha and Mary. And the Lord loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And Lazarus was sick on one occasion. And his sisters sent a message to Jesus to come that he might heal him. But Jesus did not come immediately. And when he did come, Lazarus had been dead and had been in the grave. And his sisters were obviously distraught. But the Lord Jesus Christ went to the tomb. And he asked them to move away the stone. And then he cried out, Lazarus, come out. And remarkably, he came out of the grave. Absolutely amazing. The Son of God calling this person out of the grave. There the Lord Jesus Christ was revealing his great power over death itself. And therefore I put it to you this afternoon that this is the Savior that every one of us needs. Because the day will come, because we are mortal, the day will come when all of us will end up in eternity. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And the day will come when we'll hear the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll come out of our graves. This may well seem ridiculous to the natural man, but it's not. It is what the Lord Jesus Christ will do on that day. That day when he returns there shall be a general resurrection and all who have ever lived will come out of their graves. They will hear His voice and their bodies, although they may be nothing but dust, shall be reconstituted and they will stand before King Jesus. 
We're talking about that great day of judgment. That day that is coming. A day that we cannot avoid. A day that has been decreed by God in eternity. A day that all will take part in. And on that day of judgment, we will receive our eternal destiny. Those who belong to Jesus Christ will go to heaven to be with him in that new heaven and earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And they shall be with him forever and forever. And they will enjoy wonderful, glorious life, everlasting, eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ forever and forever, their Savior. But what about those who do not belong to the Lord Jesus, who do not have Him as their Lord and Savior? What will happen to them? Where will they go? Well, the Bible tells us they will go to that terrible place that is called hell, a place that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. Even in this world, do we not have prisons for people who are dangerous and wicked criminals? Is this not man's idea of dealing with people who are not fit to live in society? They go to a prison, and there they serve their sentence until they are released. Well, hell is God's prison. But people who go to hell will never come out. Never. For all eternity, they will be there in torments forever and forever and forever. It's God's prison for those who will not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's His prison for those who will not receive Him as Lord and Savior. Now, we are delighted to tell you this afternoon that this is the day of grace. This is a time when you are to put your faith and hope and trust upon Christ the Lord. That you are to believe upon Him. That you are to turn away from your sins. That you are to turn away from your drug taking. You are to turn away from your alcoholism. You are to turn away from your fornication, from your homosexuality, from your lying, from your cheating, from your stealing, from your bitterness, from your criticism, from all kinds of sins. The Bible tells us that we are to repent and believe the gospel. And if we will repent and if we will receive Christ as Lord and Savior, something glorious and something wonderful truly happens. What is it? All our sins are forgiven. Yes, 
Every single sin is erased. It's blotted out. Why? Because Jesus Christ has paid the price for our sins on Calvary's tree. That's why. God hasn't gone soft in sin. He's punished our substitute instead of ourselves. Oh yes, listen to those people. No, no, that's not a very nice thing to say, sir. I'm telling you the truth as it is in Jesus. And you should listen, and your son should listen, and everyone should listen. Because one day the things that I'm talking about to you will be real, will be relevant. You'll stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll give account. And in some small manner and measure, you will not be able to say that you were ignorant. Because even today, even for a few moments, as you pass by, you've heard something about Jesus. You've heard about this person. You've heard that He has come down from heaven. You've heard that He is the Son of God. You've heard that He's come down on a mercy mission. This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why He came. That's why He left glory. That's why indeed He suffered and died. That's why He lived a life of poverty. For the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay His head. He was homeless. He knew no wealth. Yet He was one who was rich beyond our imaginations in heaven. But He came down to this earth in order to save sinners. And therefore, you cannot say that you're ignorant. You know something about this person. And you are to put your faith and your hope and your trust upon him. Whom to know is life everlasting. And friends, I want to encourage you. We have spoken about the Savior. We've spoken about he has power that he has compassion. But friends, we want to notice that he's willing to save. He's willing to save. He will not turn away anyone who comes to him. If you truly come forsaking your sins, he will receive you. And this Savior is alive today. He's in heaven. And he's alive forevermore. Surely you must agree that this is a Savior you need. One who did die, but who rose again. And one who cannot die now. Death no longer has any hold or any grip upon the Son of God. He's alive and alive forevermore. And therefore, surely He is worthy of our trust. And He will receive you. He will accept you. 
You could think of the cross. You could think there of Jesus in the middle and two thieves on either side. Wicked individuals. They weren't crucified simply because they were thieves. A thief would not be crucified. They were murderers. They were despicable individuals. And they were being justly punished for their crimes. As the penitent thief acknowledged later on. But you know, at one time, both of them were railing upon Christ. They were criticizing him. But by the grace of God, one of the thieves turned and said to the Lord Jesus Christ, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Remember me, he says. What did the Lord Jesus say to this murderer, to this thief who was about to die? He said to him, words of comfort. He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. In other words, he was telling him that the moment that he died, he would go to be with Christ. He would be in paradise with the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that not therefore tell you that Christ is willing to deceive us? Here was a man who could do nothing to save himself. He was nailed to the cross. Here was a man who could perform no good works. He could not in any sense contribute to his salvation. He was about to die. He was entirely relying upon Christ. And Jesus says to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Friends, you must believe this, that Christ will receive. He will receive sinners. This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And as the Apostle Paul goes on to say, of whom I am the chief. He acknowledged that he was the chief of sinners, but the Lord Jesus Christ had received him. Look unto me, the Bible says, through the prophet Isaiah, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. The prophet is not telling us to look to himself, but instead to look to the Savior. Who's the Savior? The Savior is Jesus Christ, Lord Jehovah. Look unto me and be ye saved. This is what we need, friends. We need to be saved. What do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from our sins because if we die in our sins, we shall be punished for them. And what is the punishment of sin? The wages of sin is death. And it's not just physical death. It is eternal death. It's a terrible death. It's a second death. It's to be with the devil and his angels forever and forever and forever without a break, without respite. 
Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. The prophet Isaiah goes on to encourage us in another part of his prophecy. And he says, Seek ye the Lord while ye may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Is that not a glorious and a wonderful invitation in the Word of God? Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. I beg your pardon? I'm sorry, I can't hear you, sir. It's not the Word of man. It's the Word of God. It's not my Word. God has revealed this for us. Scripture. No, we'll have to disagree there, sir. It's the Word of God. Because the Lord Jesus Christ would tell us that this is God's Word. He's the one who's come down from heaven. He knows what God's Word is. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. I put it to you this afternoon, friends, that in some real way, we are to understand the Lord is near. The Lord is near when His Word is proclaimed and the Gospel is offered in and through the Lord Jesus Christ to you this afternoon. And therefore, this is the Word of God. This is God's exhortation to you, to every one of you, to man and woman here. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. You must come to Him Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is that not a glorious promise? Is that not worth pursuing? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he tells us in his word, let the wicked forsake his way. That means repent. That means turn away from your sins. That's what it means. Turn away from our sins. What are our sins? Well, the first sin that we have, no doubt, is idolatry. That's the breach of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And the truth of our situation today is that we have multiple gods. What is a god? A god is anything that takes the place that belongs to God himself. And therefore, if our affections are set upon this world and the things of this world more than we think and love our God, then these things become our idols. And therefore, our idols today are our entertainment, our money, our spouses, our partners, our children or our grandchildren, our properties, our occupations, our education, whatever takes our minds, whatever our affections are set upon, these things have become our idols. We are to worship the one true and the living God alone. And therefore the Bible tells us we are to forsake 
our ways. We are to turn away from sin. We are to turn away from lying, from cheating, from stealing. We are to turn away from Sabbath breaking. We are to turn away from murder. We are to turn away from adultery, from fornication, from bestelia, from homosexuality. We are to turn away from these sins and many other sins. We are to turn away from them, all of us. <coughs> because whether we accept it or not, the Bible tells us we're all sinners. There is none righteous, no, not one. We're glad to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's good that the weathers remain dry for us. And we're very grateful to the Lord that we have been enabled in some way to bring the message of the gospel to you. We'd love to proclaim it more. Come along then to any one of our services. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, up Dumbarton Road. When you come to the police station, go up the hill opposite there, and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School, and then you'll find us next door at 2 Thornwood Terrace. We meet Sunday, the Lord's Day, at 11, and then in the early evening at 6, and we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. Please come along. You'll hear something more concerning Christ and His work that He has performed for mankind in order to save. And He's the one who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So may the Lord be pleased to Bless his word to you, and may you enjoy the rest of your Friday afternoon. God bless.